This sermon was preached at Sure Foundation Lutheran Church on September 27th, 2020 on the basis of Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 to 21. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. Through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We all know that person. That person that comes in the last half hour of the movie and asks all kinds of questions about what's going on. Who was that? Why did they do that? What was the purpose of her saying that? And we all are kind of annoyed by that person. <laughs> After just a few sentences, you have either mentally admitted to yourself that you are that person or you have the name of that person on your tongue. Don't, don't say it out loud. <laughs> to this morning, we are all that person. We are coming in at the end of the story, the end of the story of Joseph. And so rather than, than just going into our section for today and having all kinds of questions about the characters, about the storyline, about why they feel this way, it's going to be good for us to review. To review the story of Joseph that takes up a significant portion of the book of Genesis. I won't read you all of it, but we're going to recap it uh, scene by scene. And I'm going to start by working over here and with each leg of the story so you can visually see the timeline. I'll, I'll work this way. Joseph was one of 12 brothers born to Jacob. Jacob had four women that he had children with, two wives, Rachel and Leah, and then two concubines, Bilhah and Zilpah. Now, Rachel was his favorite wife, and he was not very discreet about that. He openly favored her and the children that she gave to him, and Joseph happened to be one of those children. Well, what you probably know best about Joseph is the story that shows Jacob's favoritism the best, and that is the coat of many colors, right? We know Joseph for that. There's been plays made about him for that. Actually, in the Hebrew, it says a richly ornamented robe. It was this fancy robe that, that Jacob had given to Joseph to show his love for Joseph, yet he didn't give that robe to the rest of his sons. And so the rest of Joseph's brothers resented him for the favoritism that Jacob showed Joseph, and specifically that robe. Add to the brothers' disdain Joseph's dreams. Joseph had two dreams that were very similar to each other and had the same interpretation. The interpretation of the dreams were this, that one day his brothers would bow down before him as if he was in some position of prominence and honor where he deserved to be bowed down before. Which, it was a dream, so it would have been harmless, right? But Joseph decided that it was a good idea to tell his brothers this dream. And so you can imagine his brothers, who already really didn't like him a whole lot, didn't like him even more after he told them this, this dream. In fact, it says that they had no kind words to say about him. Well, one day... They're working out in the fields, the brothers of Joseph, and Joseph is sent out by Jacob to go find them. And so as he's going to find them, it's a, it's a decent travel out there, and they see him coming from across the plain. And so they, their dislike of him has grown to the point where now they are plotting to kill him. As they see him coming, they're trying to figure out ways that they can 
put him to death. One thing leads to another, and they end up throwing him into a cistern that, that didn't have water in it. It was just a deep hole in the ground. And then they end up selling him into slavery, faking his death, dipping his ornamented cloak in animal blood, bringing it to the father, Jacob, and convincing Jacob that Joseph was in fact dead, to which Jacob was distraught, obviously. Joseph is then sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites, but he ends up in Egypt in the house of a man named Potiphar. Now, now Potiphar is the captain of the guard. He's an important guy in Egypt. And although Joseph would probably rather not be a slave at this point in his life, uh, things started to look up for him a little bit. He, He started to rise through the ranks at Potiphar's house. Potiphar entrusted him with a lot of his house, almost all of his house, and things were good. Joseph was trusted. Enter Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife had a thing for Joseph. She was trying to seduce him and sleep with him on countless occasions. But this maybe gives you a little glimpse into Joseph's character. Because as a young man, he had every reason and opportunity to be able to sleep with this woman and probably get away with it too. And yet, you probably know the words. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Those were Joseph's words. He was remaining faithful to his God and faithful to his employer all at the same time. Yet Potiphar's wife did not take the rejection too well. And so she made up lies about him and had him thrown into prison. Joseph's life took another turn. But things started looking up for Joseph even while he was in prison. God had continued to bless him and he was given responsibilities by the prison warden that other people did not have at that time. It turns out there was two men that ended up in the prison that, that he began to talk to. One was the cupbearer to, to Pharaoh, and one was the baker for King Pharaoh. And they both had dreams at the same time, and neither of them knew how to interpret these dreams. But God had given Joseph the ability to interpret these dreams for him. And so he interprets the dreams and he says, The baker, you will be hung and killed. And the cupbearer, you'll be reinstated to your position to Pharaoh. And Joseph says to the cupbearer, when you get back up to your position with Pharaoh, remember me. Speak to Pharaoh on my behalf because I'm in here. I'm I'm innocent. Get me out of here. But the cupbearer forgot. Joseph spends two more years in prison until Pharaoh has a dream. And he has no idea how to interpret it. His magicians have no idea how to interpret it. All the wise men of Egypt have no idea how to interpret his dreams. But Joseph did. The cupbearer finally remembered Joseph and had him brought out of prison, brought before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh recounted his dreams to him. And Joseph's interpretation was this. In Egypt and the surrounding region, there would be seven years of good crops, seven years of abundance. And then there would be seven years of famine or drought to follow that. And Pharaoh was inclined to believe his interpretation. So much so, and and it was spoken with such wisdom, that Pharaoh decided to put Joseph in charge. Put Joseph in charge of the food storage and the food distribution in Egypt. He went from being in prison to being second in charge of all of Egypt. He only answered to Pharaoh. 
In those first years of abundance, Joseph stored up the food that was necessary to survive in those seven years of drought. And when the seven years of drought began, people from the region started coming to Egypt to buy food from Joseph and from the Egyptians. Included in the people that came to buy food were people from Canaan, which were Joseph's family. Jacob and Joseph's brothers all still lived in Canaan. They came to Egypt to buy food. And so they found themselves before their brother, Joseph. But they didn't know it. They didn't know that they were standing before their brother. Joseph knew it, but their brothers didn't know it. And after a few times back and forth, Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers, gives them a big hug, kisses them, and invites them and their father and all their possessions and family to come and move to Egypt and be with him, live in the land of Goshen. Joseph had lost a lot of years, a lot of years with his family, with his brothers, and specifically with his father. But now the Lord had blessed Joseph with 17 more years with his father Jacob until Jacob passed away in Egypt. And they brought him back to Canaan and buried him in Canaan. And all of that <laughs> precedes our section for today. Now we're coming in at the end of the story. Now you're, you're up to date. You're reminded, but now you have the context of everything that happened that leads into our section for today. We're just going to read the first few verses this morning. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. This is God's word. I mentioned the number before, but I'll say it again. 17 years. 17 years Joseph had lived in Egypt with his brothers and his father living pretty close by. And it seems like these years were filled with prosperity and peace. That there, It seemed to be good between Joseph and his brothers, between Joseph and his father. But now, Jacob has died. And the brothers began to wonder. Was the only thing standing between Joseph and revenge their father? Was the only thing standing between Joseph and getting them back for all of the bad things that they had done for them their father, now that their father was dead, is Joseph actually going to, to take revenge on us? Are we going to be harmed, killed, or, or maybe worse? And maybe it seems strange. 17 years Joseph had had to take revenge if he wanted to. He was second in charge of all of Egypt. He could have taken revenge at any time there. But, but just think about this from a human standpoint for a second. Joseph and his brothers didn't appear to be living together. Joseph continued to live where he lived prior to the brothers coming to Egypt, and the brothers lived in Goshen with their father, and they saw each other. And maybe it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but that separation between the brothers and Joseph, compounded by the feelings of guilt 
does things to people. When you're separated from someone that you feel guilty toward, that guilt starts stirring some things up, doesn't it? You start to wonder, did that person actually forgive me? Did they actually mean what they said when they forgave me? Was there some ulterior motive that they had for forgiving me or was there a string attached to their forgiveness? Were they forgiving me just to to avoid the social awkwardness of not forgiving me? These guilty feelings start to stir up conversations in the brother's head just like they would with us if we were separated from somebody while we're carrying these feelings of guilt. And so it seems like they invent something to placate Joseph so that Joseph would not seek revenge on them. And so they say, Jacob's last wishes before he died, our father's wishes, was that you would forgive us. (laughs) You would forgive your brothers all of the evil things that they had done, and they had done a fair amount of evil things toward Jacob. My hope is that you guys would live in harmony with one another, is what they said Jacob said. And at this, Joseph wept. He wept because he loved his brothers. He wept because for 17 long years, these brothers had been carrying around the burden of guilt on their shoulders. And that burden of guilt that they were carrying was a heavy weight. It caused them to have those conversations to themselves and be paranoid about the forgiveness that Joseph had given them. And on top of that, the burden of guilt that they were carrying on their shoulders, all of that weight, what made Joseph so sad was that it was completely unnecessary. Joseph had forgiven his brothers. He had hugged them. He had kissed them. He had invited them to Egypt It was a done deal in his heart, but the brothers didn't feel forgiven. Maybe you can relate. Is there something that you feel guilty about? It may have happened a long time ago, honestly. But your memory makes it seem like it happened just yesterday, and it terrifies you. Because every time you think of that thing that you feel guilty about, you question where you stand before your God, your judge. You've sat in church and you've you've taken part in the confession and the absolution and you've heard the words of forgiveness, yet it doesn't seem to have worked. You still don't feel forgiven. Just as Joseph wept, so Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps because he knows how heavy guilt is. He knows that 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 weight, that burden that is on your shoulders from guilt is a heavy, crushing weight. It's not something that he just knows. It's not just head knowledge. He experienced it. He took your weight of guilt and my weight of guilt and the guilt of the whole world and he put it on his shoulders and he went to the cross. And he did that, brothers and sisters, for A purpose. He took your guilt and my guilt and the guilt of the whole world, all of that weight, a crushing weight on his shoulders to the cross to abolish guilt forever. He wanted you to be free from guilt. He didn't want you to carry that burden any longer. And so he wants you to know that when you hear from his word and in his word that you are forgiven, 
that you truly are. That when you hear from a pastor or from another believer that you are forgiven, that you are 100% forgiven. That when, when you taste the body and blood in His supper, that you are tasting His very forgiveness on your lips. There are likely still going to be times in your life that you don't feel forgiven. But what God wants you to know and what I want you to know this morning is forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a fact. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a decisive action that is shown by Jesus on the cross. We see it nowhere better than on the cross. That forgiveness is not a feeling. Our feelings and emotions will still play tricks on us. But Jesus wants us to be reminded and reassured that we are forgiven in him because of what he has done for us. I said at the beginning of the service that forgiveness is a theme that we're going for this morning, that it's a part of the, the foundation of the church. And we've seen forgiveness from the brother's perspective here. But now we're going to look at, at forgiveness from Joseph's perspective. Have you ever had something reframed for you in your life before? I, and I'm not talking about a, a picture frame or, a, or the framing of your house. I'm talking about your perspective has changed on something. That, that something has not changed at all, but due to your life experience or something that has happened to you, your perspective on that thing that hasn't changed, your perspective has changed. Let me give you an example from my life. Uh, when I was in 6th, uh, 7th, and 8th grade, I loved the frozen food section of the grocery store. Um, I loved ice cream. That was probably part of the reason why I liked that frozen food section. But what I really loved about the frozen food section was that prepackaged fried food. <laughs> French toast sticks, French fries, tater tots, mozzarella sticks. Your mouth's watering already. It was awesome. I loved that stuff. I would devour that stuff. Fast forward a few years, and I started working for a company that did all kinds of chores for people and for companies. We mostly washed windows, but we did a lot of odds and ends kinds of things too. And one of the jobs that we had to do once a month was at a factory that produced those prepackaged fried foods. And so what we had to do was we had to suit up in this plastic suit that looked like a hazmat suit, and it was really hot in those suits when it was hot in the summer too. And you climbed up on top of the roof of this factory, and they had these grease traps up there. So in the production, I'm going to ruin this for you too. <laughs> I'm helping everybody's health this morning. It's good. Uh, in the production of the, these foods, there would be grease that would drip into these pans that would be filled with stuff that looked like kitty litter. It was, like, it was oil dry, and we had to scoop it out into a bucket and replace it there. Now, maybe that doesn't sound too bad, but the smell was awful. It was awful. You did not eat before you, or you did not eat after you went there. So you had to make sure you ate lunch before you went because you were not going to be hungry after, after that. We all dreaded doing that job once a month. And so you can bet that my perspective on those things in the frozen food aisle had changed completely. Those things had not changed at all, but my perspective has, and I don't eat those anymore. Now, that's kind of a silly example, but we can frame things differently in our lives too. 
there's different frames through which we can see our lives. And for Joseph, there's maybe two frames that I want us to consider this morning. There was the frame that the, the brothers expected Joseph to look through, and there was the frame that he actually looked through. The brothers expected Joseph to be bitter and to be angry. And frankly, you, you, can't, you wouldn't really blame him for it, right? All of the injustice that the brothers had, had done to him and all the unfair turns that his life had taken, they expected him to be bitter and angry and, and have vengeance in his heart. And so perhaps it's surprising when, when Joseph goes on with our section for this morning and he says this. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is God's word. The, the, the section that sticks out to you, doesn't it, is, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Now, obviously Joseph is benefiting a little bit from hindsight, right? But it's also safe to say that Joseph is approaching this with a, a heart of forgiveness. His life has been reframed. If, if Joseph was bitter and angry and had vengeance in his heart, you wouldn't blame him. But he would have walked around and acted differently than he did. He would have blamed his brothers for everything that happened in his life, for selling him into slavery, for, having him, throw, for him being in prison, for him being forgotten in prison by the cupbearer. Every quote-unquote unfair turn of his life would have been the brothers' fault and it would have fallen on the brothers' shoulders. He would have blamed them for everything and maybe even blamed God for those things too. But forgiveness had transformed Joseph's heart and it had reframed his life. He looked at life differently than what the brothers expected him to look at. He was not bitter or angry, but he knew that everything that had happened to him happened because God was in control of everything that was going on. He, he knew that nothing that happened in his life was an accident. Nothing that happened in his life was unfair, but it was God working in his life. And, and maybe the bigger point here even it was God working through him, through his life, to help others. Imagine how many people would have died from starvation had Joseph not been in Egypt. If Joseph was never sold into slavery, many people would have died in Egypt. But Joseph, because he knows God's forgiveness, because forgiveness has reframed his life, he can look at all the things that happened in his life without bitterness and without anger and say, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Forgiveness is the same for you. It's transformational. Not only does forgiveness give you peace to know that you are right before God, but forgiveness also removes the bitterness, the anger, the rage, the vengeance, and frees you from those things. So that no matter what happens to you in your life, no matter what has happened to you in your life, you can say with Joseph, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And so I want us to have a little interaction this morning. I'm going to say, say something and then I want you to repeat after me that God intended it for good. So, so to the bully who made your life miserable in high school, 
Say it with me. God intended it for good. It, to the coworker who stole your idea and, and claimed it as their own, say it. God intended it for good. Uh, for the family member who constantly talks behind your back, say it. God intended it for good. For, for the church member who wasn't acting like a Christian towards you, say it. God intended it for good. To anyone who has ever hurt you or harmed you ever, say it. God intended it for good. Forgiveness transforms your life, my friends. Live in the peace that that forgiveness gives to you and live in the freedom that it gives you too, to be freed from bitterness and anger. And confess like Joseph now and always that even though people may intend to harm you, that God intends it for good. Amen.